Before we get started, um, I just want to ask everyone who's listening, if you find the podcast or this episode helpful, please share, so like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, leave a review if you can. It really helps to get the podcast out to whoever it can help. And um, the easiest way for you guys to help me get more listeners is uh to share it with people that you think it'll help. So um, I really appreciate it. And um, on to the show. This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, This episode is a continuation of last week's. Um, Last week, I kind of started to um, share how you start start to heal when, um, when you leave a family cult when you leave a narcissistic parent and you go no contact for good. And in your mind, it's for good. Whether or not they try to contact you is irrelevant in this. I'm talking about you as a survivor. Um, when you have made the decision to finally leave and cut off contact, um, the whole process of the, the healing journey and how what it looks like and giving you an honest perspective because I think what gets um, really, especially in the social media space, especially with all the therapy jargon that gets tossed around now, um, it's really important to, I think, be as transparent as a practitioner can be about what the healing journey looks like. And it is a long-term process. Like I, in my opinion, it takes about, if, if you're actively working on yourself after you leave a family cult or a cult of any kind, any kind of space like that, any kind of narcissistic abuse. If you're doing it really um, truthfully and um, you're really putting in the work, the inner work and the, with, the, with all the help that you can possibly muster to do all this, um, it will take about five years for you to get to a place where you feel about as whole as a person can feel, I think. Um, And this is if you don't get pulled into another narcissistic relationship, which happens very often to those of us who are trying to heal. Um, If you are able to um, provide for yourself and not unravel in a way that lets you kind of keep um, like the general structures of your life in place. There's a lot of factors that go into this timeline, but I'm assuming certain amounts of privilege for us. We are able to hold down jobs. (laughs) Our jobs are paying us enough to be able to survive. And, um, and we're able to kind of do those things. I know that is not true for everybody. And this is not an indictment on anyone who cannot hold up all of those, but this is just like, if you have enough privilege to be able to be in a space to actually work on yourself while still be able, able to keep the, you know, the relative outer structures of your life intact, it will take you about three to five years to get to a space where you are not, um, actively reliving trauma or are actively reacting to your trauma um, in your life, in your relationships. So that's just an important caveat in all of this. 
Um, so last week I shared just what it looks like and what my experience was coming out um, and trying to heal and the kind of the mistakes I made along the way. Um, so the, and the other thing I mentioned toward the ep- end of the episode was that, um, addiction is a really common way to cope, not even when you're in the middle of abuse, but once you're coming out of it and that addiction without awareness is different than addiction with w- awareness and addiction can be any, anything, right? And uh, addiction is really just using something to self-regulate. yourself out of your pain. It is something used to get you to dissociate from whatever pain you're feeling. Now, what's really important to understand is that healing, trauma healing, especially, um, you know, from any kind of abuse, but particularly narcissistic abuse, the one big thing that you need to understand is that you cannot do it from the place of your mind. Healing happens in your body. You have to reconnect the severed connections that you um, have lived with and reconnect back to your body, recreate your body as a safe space for you to live in. Because if you try to heal from your mind by trying to think your way through it and change your thoughts and all this other stuff with your brain and trying to dissect yourself um, mentally without understanding that your body is what is remembering the trauma and your body is what's gonna triggering those thoughts and your body is going to tell you what you need to do next. Um, reconnecting to your intuition, right? All of these things are, I can, I mean, I, well, I, I, guess, I, I guess it really depends on whether or not people are willing to wanting to get that technical, but all of these things I just said are extensions of your nervous system. Your intuition is a part of your autonomic nervous system. There is a whole separate system that connects your brain to your gut. There's also a whole other nervous system that connects your heart to your mind. And these guys are not the same. They do not operate the same way, but they do create a frequency. And when, when people talk about connecting to your body to heal your trauma, it's really about reconnecting your brain to your peripheral nervous system is re reestablishing those connections so that you can now live in the below your neck in your body feel wherever your, your, your trauma is trapped. And that's wherever you'll feel a pain or a twinge or, you know, aches and all that stuff, all that stuff. It, and for people, for survivors of childhood, narcissistic abuse, all the vast majority of that pain, um, overall inflammation in your body is a result of our trauma. And right here is also where I'm going to give some people a, um, a massive, like, um, it's not really a content warning, but it's kind of uh, a keep this in mind. Uh, childhood abuse survivors will, I mean, all of my clients that I've had in, in the years that I've been doing this um, have an, auto, uh, um, an autoimmune disease. So some form of it. I have celiac. Relatively speaking, and I'm saying this relatively, it's not the case for everybody. Mine's pretty mild. But that doesn't mean that I don't have it. It doesn't mean that I can go around willy-nilly eating what I want. Um, our bodies will create the boundaries that we have to exist within. And you need to keep in mind that your immune system is going to also hold a memory of your trauma. 
Your body holds the memory. It is not your mind. So any modality that tells you, oh, you can just think your way through your trauma or you can just do X, Y, Z and never have to actually, it never actually shows you any modality that connects you back to your body that is not going to heal your trauma. It will keep re-traumatizing you. And I really, really want to get that through because it is a disservice that, that some practitioners do to um, the people that come to them for help by telling them that they can just think their way out of their trauma, that it's just about what's going on in their brains. And it's not. Your brain is a receptor for everything that else that is happening around you. That includes your body. Its environment includes your body. It does not float in and of itself separate from the rest of your body. It is taking in all the input that your body is going through, all of the trauma that your body withstood, whether you were hit, whether you were sexually abused, whether you were violated, um, all of those things, both emotionally and physically, everything that happens to your body is what your mind is creating stories around. Your mind is an unreliable um, witness to your trauma. It is not the place that you need to go to, to figure out how to get out of it because that is not its job. It is a receiver. It is not a leader. It is not going to tell you where the problem is. It will just create a really big story around what the problem is, but you will never actually know what the problem is. The problem is hidden in your body. Okay. And I've gotten that out of the way. I really wanted to make sure I got that through because I have been bugged. Um, every, and I, this is again, my own personal experience, but I also, I, I am on therapy, TikTok, and Instagram a lot. And, um, what really, really pisses me off um, is coaches or uh, therapists and all these people, even the trauma-informed ones. And I honestly, I, I don't believe in malicious intent. I think they're doing the best they can for a platform that rewards um, lack of nuance and brevity and, uh, you know, entertainment. Um, a, healing from trauma is not entertaining. It's not fun. <laughs> it's, it is the least fun thing you will ever do in your life. But um, it's also really important to tell people the truth. And you do not heal from trauma in your mind. Your mind is not the place to do it. It doesn't know what really happened. It created stories around everything that happened to get you through it. But that is all it's responsible for. And your body really does remember everything you've went through. Anything you didn't, you don't even remember is held within your body. So let your body be the guide. And another caveat, you do not need to have a memory of your trauma to have been traumatized. And this is why I'm saying like your body remembers, your mind will not. Your mind will shut off and not cre even create memories in some instances if you have been through something that was so bad, like to, to, to your brain. If it was so bad, it won't even create the memory. But that doesn't mean that your body didn't go through it. So it's really important to remember that, that your mind is the most unreliable witness in your trauma. Let your body be your guide. It will hurt, but it's supposed to. It will be painful. Unfortunately, that's... That's the, that's the emotion that we need to process and everything that comes after that. But it is your body that keeps the score. And I'm not even quoting that book on purpose. I actually, um, I have uh, opinions on that book that maybe I'll share at another time. Um, but I kind of wanted to come back for a second and 
talk about addiction because um, I am somebody who um, I've been addicted to a handful of things in my life. Um, alcohol and drugs really weren't my thing. Um, I kind of kept myself away from them because I understood, I think, on a subconscious level that I would get hooked on it. But I have a history of binge eating, so I've been, a, I've been addicted to food. And I was a smoker for a really long time, so that was also another form of addiction that I had. Um, and then I also, I have a lot of anxiety, and one of my addictions is overthinking. And yes, I do classify overthinking as an addiction, um, because there are times I do it um, without, um, oh, and then there was a little bit of trichotillomania. I had that when I was in my teens, it kind of popped up um, a few years ago again for me, um, where I pull out my hair. And um, that's another thing. It's just another self-regulating thing. Um, but the overthinking I do actually consider an addiction because um, the ADHD and the anxiety really kind of feeds into it. And I can go down rabbit holes and get myself wound up into a state um, that feels comforting just because being riled up and angry feels so much better than feeling sad. And so I do, and for me, because of my awareness around the around my overthinking, I do classify that as an addiction to myself. Anything that takes away the pain is an addiction to me, and that was one of the things that took away the pain. Um, so I'm actually going to talk about binge eating mostly. Um, and again, this stuff kind of applies to smoking as well. It's kind of the same uh, mechanism, but with binge eating, I have been binge eating for as long as I can remember. And when I changed my diet in 2012, I did my first Whole30 in 2012, and that was really the start of my nutrition journey. I've, I've talked about, I think I've talked about this before. But um, during that time, I, I, like, I, had, I, you know, I changed my food. I realized that all of a sudden I didn't have all these cravings for carbs, and I was losing all this weight, and I felt really good, and I wasn't as inflamed. My depression was gone, and... Um, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I, for, for, I was, I was in a really nice little honeymoon period for about six to eight months, maybe, yeah, seven, seven to eight months. Um, I was in a really, really good place and it started a slow roll. Um, I was like, oh, I miss bread. That's how it started off. And so it started off with just a little bit of bread a day. And that turned into a lot of bread a day. And then I found out that my, uh, my boyfriend at the time cheated on me. And then I took that as a license to just give it all up. And I thought that because I knew what healthy food eating was like, I'll just be able to go back to it. But right now I'm going to make myself feel better with a bunch of chocolate and a bunch of this and a bunch of that and pizza and all this stuff that I was not equipped to handle. Um, I had gluten sensitivity even back then. I was, I've been lactose intolerant since college and I was still eating things that were obviously making me sick, that were obviously making me feel like hell. And I'm still in med school trying to study for boards and go to rotations and all this jazz, but I am knee deep in this self-regulation with food, trying to deal with all this other stuff that's happening around me, not knowing where it's coming from. When I left um, my family in 2019, I was still really knee deep in binge eating. I'd put back all the weight that I had lost and I was just really, um, I was really eating all the time. And 
even though I made the adjustment to gluten-free, um, it turns out that gluten-free now is a lot different than gluten-free was in 2012 when there weren't that many gluten-free options. And, um, and so I was able to continue binge eating gluten-free stuff the same way that I was doing the gluten stuff beforehand. Um, and it was still having the same effect on me. I was still feeling miserable. My mood was still all over the place. I was super inflamed. Um, for, my depression was back with full force. My anxiety is heightened up to 11. And um, while all of this is due to me now having to recover from trauma, this is kind of like rebound sickness, right? So everything kind of gets turned up to a million because you now finally have some space to kind of deal with it. So your body's like, oh, hey, look, you want to say you want some problems to solve? I have like a 20 for you. <laughs> here you go. And I'm, but I'm like hyper-focused on the binge eating because I still really want to lose weight. And so I decide that I'm going to use that as my gateway. I know that it's a problem for me. I know that it affects my self-esteem really pretty much anything else, more than anything else that I'm doing. Um, my, my, I've quit smoking cigarettes at this point, but I'm still smoking pot and I don't have a problem with pot the way that I do with cigarettes. And I'm okay with me smoking pot, but I just don't want to eat the way that I'm eating to the point where like I am so like worn out. And I will say here, this is not an ad, but um, there is one piece of equipment that I had gotten during this time that really proved to be um, incredibly helpful in my recovery, in my healing journey. And that is the Whoop wearable um, thingamajigger. I actually don't know what the actual name of it is called, but it's the whoop. And, um, I learned about it from, uh, Melissa Urban. Uh, and I mentioned the whole 30 before she's the creator of whole 30. And, um, I had gotten the whoop right around the time that I had left, um, my, my family and the binge eating kind of, it gave me information about the binge eating that I didn't have objective data for before. And what would happen is that I would always binge eat late at night when I got home from work and after driving the hour and whatever, and I'd be sitting by myself and I would just have all of this food that I was eating while I was scrolling on my phone. And I would wake up in the morning and my recovery that the whoop would tell me how, you know, how well recovered I was. And because my job is hard and higher recoveries meant that I had, I was able to do more. Um, I just never really had very high recoveries. And whenever I binge ate, my recovery would be in the toilet, like 20, 30% barely. And I would feel bad about myself. I'd go back and binge eat. And that, but that wasn't necessarily the, the whoops fault. It was just, it was the cycle that I was stuck in, that I'm using food to self-regulate. But then when I use the food, it helps me. It, it, it doesn't help me for the next day. And so it's, 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 it's this constant cycle that I'm stuck in. And that's what addiction is. I was just stuck in this cycle of like trying to feel better. But when I did the thing that made me feel better, it made me feel worse. And then I felt worse about myself. And then I would go back and, and it was just this whole back and forth all the time. And so um, about, it would, um, I'm going to say it was like the end of 2021. So this is after lockdown is done. This is um, everyone's starting to forget about COVID. And um, I'm moving to a new place so I don't have a commute. And that's a big, that's a big, big part of all this because the commute was as triggering to me as the job was. But once the commute was gone and I felt like I had some more time back in my pocket, I was able to be like, okay, well, 
now I'm going to tackle this binge eating thing because now I have, again, I have this space and this is really important. Healing takes up a lot of your time and it takes up a lot of your energy guys. And this is just a side note because I'm going to forget that I, I want to mention this later on. If you are having trouble healing right now, you're going to have to take an honest to goodness look at how you spend your days and you're going to have to cut something out because there is the, this kind of healing requires you to spend some time alone with yourself without your phone, without other people, without other things that you need to do. And I know that sucks, especially for people who use busy, whose, whose addiction is busyness. Like if you're so busy that you just don't have the time to sit, to sit with yourself, well, then I'm just really busy. I'm taking care of all of these things. And it makes you look really, really important. And let me tell you, 95% of the things that you're doing are not that important. I promise you, I promise you, objectively looking at it, a lot of the things that you are doing is just to fill the time. And there is so, nothing single-handedly is more important than your health and your well-being. And sometimes the, that has to start almost every time. It has to start with you. You have to make yourself a priority before other people will make you one. Okay, that side note is done. So anyway, I move to a place that's closer to work so that I don't have the commute to deal with anymore. I can all of a sudden now I'm able to sleep. This is really important for me. Um, I use sleep um, two different ways. I sometimes use it to escape, but I was focusing on trying to use it more to rest. And when you are healing um, nervous system dysregulation, when you get to pockets of time where you can like when you want to power down, sleep is on, like naps are my favorite way of healing. <laughs> like not even going to joke about that. I nap a lot. I am notorious for napping and people think I sleep way too much and I've had people have opinions on that. But um, sleep for me, especially like naps in the middle of the day are incredibly healing. There's something very comforting about that. And it's also a, like I realized like a really great tool for my nervous system to kind of reset. And sometimes I'll wake up and, you know, again, if my whoop tells me my recovery isn't all that great, my, my you know, my irritability is high, my anxiety is kind of higher than it would, I would like it to be. Um, I know that I'm not going to make the best decisions, but sometimes a nap can kind of just reset me long enough. And it doesn't have to be long. I like to take two hour long naps. I'm not going to lie. Um, but um, sometimes that two hours is much better spent me sleeping than me trying to power through and do things that are not going to make me the nicest person to be around or even I don't want to be around myself in those days so I if a nap will reset me I'm going to take the nap and so do not be afraid if you're one of those people where sleeping um feels indulgent um I'm really going to suggest that you start taking naps because it can help a lot with regulating your nervous system and also when you do integration work to really kind of give give your body a chance to kind of settle into this new being. And um, rest is a really, really important part of that healing, especially from narcissistic abuse. Rest is a really, really important part of your healing. So please, if, if it's coming up where you are tired and you're trying to power through, don't rest. And so when I'm in this space, right, and I've now moved and I'm closer to work, so I don't have a commute, I, I now have the time in the space to focus on my binge eating. And I'm just trying to gain a little bit more awareness. You know, what, what kind of emotion, like I know that when I'm irritated or if I'm upset, I want to eat. Okay, those are the like 
the normal ones. But sometimes I'm eating because I'm bored. Okay, so what is my brain looking for? It's not my phone because I'm eating while I'm on my phone. Um, I'm not tired necessarily. Maybe I need to go for a walk. So I started doing little things. I started to go take my dogs out for a walk. Now, at this point, I'm still not taking them out every day. Um, but I'm working toward that. Um, I'm trying to make sure that my meals, um, I'm eating, um, if I do feel like binge eating, I'm eating more complete. So instead of it just being like a whole box of cereal, which I have done with pizza, which is also a lot of carbs and it's just all kind of carbs. Um, I'm making sure to add in some protein and some fat to kind of balance it out. So at least it feels like a meal. I'm slowing down. Okay. So I'm not on my phone when I eat. Um, that is, that one's still touch and go for me. Cause sometimes I, uh, it, it helps in the beginning for me. Um, it's not as helpful now. Now I just, um, I, 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 you know what? I'm actually going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to edit that a little bit. Um, it's not that it's not helpful. I think I've just, um, because I did it at that point earlier in um, 2022, when I was kind of really working on um, getting a handle on the binge eating, um, I think I did it for so long. I'm actually less inclined to be on my phone or be distracting myself when I eat, which is kind of nice, actually. Um, I'm able to enjoy my food more, but um, it, I'm, it's not as ritualistic, I, I guess I would say, as it was in the beginning. I just, it's not as, as big of a production for me as it used to be. But balancing the meals made a huge difference. Having some protein and some fat, but mostly the protein portion to like really satiate me, helped limit um, the the binge eating. And then I, I um, and then the, the nighttime binge eating was another thing. And that is where I, I kind of really put some um, stronger stop gaps in place. Now I am touch and go with these still too now, like some days are better than others. But I realized that if I am going to bed on an empty stomach, my recovery is much higher. So I, intermittent fasting is, and intermittent fasting has always been really, really helpful for me. Um, I just, I don't do the coffee on an empty stomach thing anymore. That's not my, my dealio. Um, but I stopped eating late at night and I stopped eating right before bed. It's not really like late at night. I don't go to bed late. I go to bed at nine, but this also requires me to stop eating by five six at the latest, because it takes, you know, all that time for the food to get out of my stomach. I'm eating higher, you know, higher protein meals now. So I need about four hours. By the time I get to bed at nine, my stomach needs to be empty in order for me to get a good night's rest. So I got to stop eating around five to six o'clock. And that kind of construct was kind of annoying because my, I worked till seven, seven thirty. So I was like, oh, I can't go home and eat because I, you know, I'm going to bed early, but, um, I, still make sure that I try to get some food in and so that I'm not just going from like lunch at two o'clock all the way through till the end of the day. But even that hasn't really hurt me. Um, and then again, the balance part of making sure it's, it's a meal that has protein and fat and it's not just plain straight carbs has been really, really helpful. And what I noticed of just doing those couple of things, it wasn't really a lot. It was just, I didn't eat past a certain time. Um, and I am drinking, oh, this is the other thing. I, I, I started drinking, um, a lot more water. I realized that the reason I wasn't drinking water is because I didn't have um, electrolytes in it. And I was looking for like sugary things. I realized I was looking for electrolytes, but I ended up 
drinking other things instead. So um, I invested in getting more Element packets. Again, another brand. It's, none of this stuff is sponsored, guys. Um, this is just brands that I use on my day-to-day -day life. I've been using Element for three, four years now. And I... You know, people will see me putting salt in my water, be like, oh my God, isn't that bad for you? And I'm trying to have to remember, trying to remind myself that salt is not bad for me. And actually, um, I, I, had a con I got a concussion in 2016, and um, I actually think that um, the electrolytes help a lot with whatever post-concussion issues I've had since then, because it wasn't until I started drinking two, two packets of Element a day that a lot of my post-concussion symptoms kind of like resolve themselves. There was a lot of post-concussion stuff that did not go away until I started doing two packets of Elements a day. And that's a lot of salt. Like I don't salt my, like, I mean, I salt my food liberally, but, um, I didn't have like that, that kind of mineral in my water. So having, drinking like uh, drinking like 100 to 150 ounces of water a day with my element um, has made a huge difference as to whether or not I'm binge eating. And that was really, really important for me to learn as well. Things, again, like things I wouldn't have learned if I didn't actually put some effort and had some time and space to work on healing this portion of me. And then I realized that a lot of the binge eating was just, it was, um, memories that would come up be because of an interaction that I had, right? So I would have an interaction with a customer that was upset at me that would trigger me for hours and hours. And when I got home, because I was still triggered, I would want to self-regulate and food was how I was self-regulating. So I'm starting to learn around this time that, okay, I have to figure out a different way to regulate. That's where the walks came in with my dogs. Um, it made them happy. It helped me out. Um, uh, meditating has helped a lot, but making sure I have the water and the balanced meals is also a big thing. And also, um, some supplementation, some very careful supplementation on certain things that made a huge difference. And all of this to say that I am now, um, I, I am now like, in, I, I, feel, I, I feel comfortable calling myself in recovery from binge eating because I really don't, I don't know the last time I binged. I don't actually remember. Um, we're almost in August now of 2023, so I don't... Um I actually don't have a memory of the last time I binged eat. I tend to overeat, so... Um this is different than binge eating for me. Binge eating was like, I, it was a whole ritual. Like I would have one item, like I would have like three or four different food items at full serving sizes. And for me, my full serving size is probably enough servings for two or three people because I didn't understand, you know, a serving size. I don't like, I didn't understand what that meant at the time. I've gotten much better with that. <clears throat> but the whole ritualistic process of binge eating doesn't happen. I don't, I don't know when the last time I did that. I think it's been over a year now. Um, I do tend to overeat. Like yesterday, I know that I had um, I had a cookie and then I had cereal and then I. But I realized it was all because it was all carbs and it was because I hadn't had any protein in my day. So once I had like a protein-rich meal, then I was able to stop eating and all of a sudden I wasn't hungry now. And that is another thing that I learned that sometimes if I go carb hopping um, too much back to back because I am sensitive to carbs, I have 
celiac disease and so there's also a carbo like a, a, a bit of a carbohydrate intolerance for me as well I do not handle carbs very well my blood sugar goes all over the place when that happens and um, I am not I'm a very active person so it's really not because of that it's just my body generally has a lower tolerance for carbohydrate than somebody else might and if I go carb hopping with my food over the course of a uh, course of a day, especially with if it's a short amount of time, like if it's in within two or three hours and I've had seven different kinds of carbs, like Rama, you've got to take a look at what's going on here. And that's when I like, I, I don't even have to get to seven anymore. I usually will stop at around like two or three and being like, okay, um, when was the last time I had some protein? <laughs> like I have a feeling that might be part of the problem here. So um, that's been a big thing that's um, been a, great change for me is I actually don't remember the last time I binged binged. Um, overeating happens um, usually because either I'm not eating enough protein or I didn't have enough vegetables. Um, really the two components of, of food for me personally that kind of um, bulk it up and um, ground me a little bit on both ends. So all of that to say that binge eating was a symptom of my trauma. And when I um, finally started to look into it. And this kind of really applied, like I, I kind of did the same thing with, with smoke, smoking, I kind of stopped cold turkey. And then I was able to kind of unravel the, the triggers for it. Um, I am now getting to the place with pot that it's the same kind of thing. I it's, um, I'm starting, I, pot for a few, like almost a year now has been really disagreeing with my body in general. I don't get high anymore. Um, even when I do smoke and, um, it's not a very good experience. Um, my lungs are sh sh starting to show wear and tear from smoking, um, combined with the cigarette smoking that I did before that it's really problematic. And, I am now in the process of unraveling that particular addiction. And really that one's not that hard, um, to be honest. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I've gotten a handle on this. It's just, um, I'm holding on to an old piece of me. That's really what this addiction is, is a is symbol for, for me personally, that the pot is really just a symbol of like, um, uh, non-conformity and like this old identity that I have of myself that I really just don't need anymore. And like I said, and I said this, I think it was in the last episode where letting go of parts of yourself is just as hard as trying to pick and choose of what stays. And I've outgrown this particular habit. I don't need it anymore. And just like with the binge eating, I'm gonna, I'm deconstructing it piece by piece until I don't no longer have room in my life for it. And that's been my particular method of working with my addictions. Um, I'm not saying that's something that works for everyone, um, but it is something that when I work with my one-on-one -on -one clients that I do go through with them. Um, because most people who come to me, and this is a personal preference that I have, um, that I like to... Um, I like to, I like to work with people who have done a certain amount of work on their own before they come to me. I am not a beginner coach. I am not somebody who works well with somebody who's just, um, honestly, who's fresh out of their family cult or fresh out of a relationship. Like that's not my forte. I'm not good at it. I know how to hold space for people in that, in that place, but I am not good at that particular 
part of it, which is also, I think, part of the reason why my own stage of that kind of, in, in, um, my own stage of that healing took so long because I had to gain um, a certain amount of empathy for myself in that process. And I, uh, while I was able to finally do it for myself, I do not feel uh, qualified to hold that space for other people and for them to charge them for, for me doing that. Like, that's just not something that I'm willing to do at this point. Um, but um, that being said, I am, I am really good. Um, I'm a really good coach for people who have been doing this and they're somewhat regulated. And now they're looking to be like, they're, now they're looking to like, kind of like put the pieces together. That's where I come in. I'm a really good, I'm a really good coach for those kinds of people. Um, you usually don't need to work with me for more than six months. Um, if after six months you still feel like you need some support, it's going to be very kind of hands off and more in a group setting. It's not really me one-on-one -on -one with you. And the reason I'm sharing that is because, um, I am taking on one-on-one -on -one clients right now. So this is just an FYI. And, um, if you're interested in that, you can, um, follow the link in the uh, show notes for, um, to apply for a one-on-one -on -one position. And I vet those myself and, um, and I am actually very particular about who I choose to take on as a client, but, um, it is an application process, uh, to see if I am able to help you. And if you are willing to be helped by me, it works both ways. Um, and also that, um, the binging, I think that certain addictions kind of get washed like whitewashed away in a, in a sense, or just not taken as not as seriously because, um, you know, oh, it's just food. Food can be really detrimental to some people, especially in a culture that values thinness, that values, um, quote unquote, healthy. And food is a very triggering thing for some people. And Understanding what healthy nutrition is for you is a really big part of reparenting yourself, especially if you are coming from childhood narcissistic abuse from a parent. Because guess what? You didn't learn what nourishment looks like from that parent. You learned what uh, control looks like through food from your parent. You look like you learned what punishment through food looks like with that parent. But you didn't learn nourishment. You didn't learn care. You didn't learn. Um, love through food. And I think that's really, um, I think that's something that gets lost in the day-to-day -day discourse of food and nutrition in that it isn't just, um, it's, it can be as much of a sign of connection as it is a sign of trauma. And especially for women with the diet culture and the, 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 just the systemic control around food that we have and then you add on top of that, that most likely you have an autoimmune condition. And then most likely you're subjected to a food supply that is incredibly unnourished within itself. So then you'd have to supplement, like it's all these different things. And so um, I like to make people aware that I do understand that addiction is powerful no matter what form it comes in. And just like we acknowledge that addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, um, are real and serious mental health issues and public and um, public health issues. Um, addiction to food is just as much of a problem on that. And I and I hope to at least um, make that particular um, aspect of mental health um, uh, louder than it has been, I guess. Um, so this episode's getting kind of long. So I think I'm actually going to cut this off here.
I'll probably expand more on the healing stuff, but what I really hope I, um, I got across today was that a addiction is almost like addiction is, I'm very comfortable saying that there's now research that backs me up on this. Um, from other sources, but, um, addiction is just a way to self-regulate through the pain. And if you are using something to self-regulate through the pain, as long as I feel like, as long as you have the awareness that that's what you're doing, um, keep doing what you're doing as long as it doesn't hurt you or anybody else. Please don't get it in the car. If you are inebriated, please don't do anything to yourself. If you are in that state, you are not, um, do not have your full faculties available. Um, but I do understand the need to self-regulate as much as you can out of the pain that you are feeling. Um, B trauma lives in your body, not your mind. You cannot outthink your way from a traumatic experience. You cannot outthink your way out of abuse. So please, um, understand that and understand that your body is there to help you. It is a tool that you can use to move, to navigate your, your healing journey. Um, do not trust your mind. It, it, it is not the arbiter of the truth of what happens, what happened to you and what needs to happen going forward. Um, like I said, I'll probably expand on this on another time, but I really hope that this helps whoever needs, whoever it's needed for. Um, that's always my intention when I record these things. And sometimes I kind of go off on a tangent and kind of stay there for a while, but I kind of let, um, some, certain topics I let myself kind of roll with because I'm trusting that my voice is going to say what needs to be said and will be heard by those who need to hear it. Um, just one last caveat. Um, this is not a, nothing I say on this podcast is a replacement for therapy or actual, um, help from professionals. That being said, I understand that sometimes the professionals you find are not always equipped. Um, I do offer free services that you can find on my website, thecherishedyou.com. And if you feel like I can be of assistance in your journey, um, I encourage you to sign up for one of those free, um, the free, uh, calls that I offer. And if, and in case you don't have access, and again, this is, this is another thing, access to professionals costs money in this country and in, in America. But if you are in a place where you can access it and, and you have public health care and it's somewhat covered by the government or your insurance, um, please go and find someone that is qualified and always ask and see if they are trauma informed to some degree, um, because that makes a huge difference. Going to a therapist or a practitioner who is not trauma informed can make you feel gaslit. And that is, um, an important, I, I, I feel like that's an important thing to know because, um, there are people, and I don't think they do it out of malicious intent. I just think you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes ignorance is, is bliss for some people and this stuff is hard to learn and it's hard to withstand. And, um, again, a lot of people don't have the time to learn about it. So please, um, find someone who's in trauma informed, who can kind of help you navigate, um, what your body is experiencing so um that you come out in a better place than when you started thanks so much for listening today and i will see y'all next week bye-bye thanks so much for listening to the cherished you podcast if you could please leave me a review um subscribe and share it really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most